wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. On this episode, we have Abe Turner coming back. When you talk about finding a breeder, you really want to do your homework on the sire and the dam. What you'll find is Jim Bob down the road, your neighbor, he might have a backyard litter. Just because it's a retrieving breed doesn't mean that litter is going to be built as a retriever in the field. It really boils down to health, trainability, and you'll hear certain breeders will say about a particular litter, hey, it was bred into their line for generations. With the pigeons, you know, it's a smaller bird. They're fairly easy to come by. They're essentially a nuisance species. I got a farmer nearby that traps them for me. What I'll do is I will pull the flight feathers from them so that way they can't fly. You still get that flap in nature when you release them in front of the pup. They get used to working through the birds flapping. That also builds their adrenaline in the retrieve drive. They retrieve it. They get used to being around birds, birds in their mouth. And you start coaching them back to you and they really start putting the pieces together in terms of having a retrieve drive. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And on this episode, we have Abe Turner coming back for another episode. Last week, Abe gave us a rundown of what to do if you want to get into waterfowl hunting. And uh, he gave us some really good nuggets on getting waders, getting a shotgun, the different types of shotguns you should use, and the different types of ammo. And when we finished up, he was talking about different retriever breeds. And uh, that's where we're going to come in today is we're going to talk about the different breeds and what to look for when you're selecting a bird dog. And then also some uh, basic training techniques. So Abe, thanks for coming back. I'm glad to be here, man. Absolutely. So I had a good time last week and uh, learned a lot and uh, it was a really good waterfowl uh, episode. Let's talk about if I just got started waterfowl hunting or maybe I've been waterfowl hunting for a long time and I've always been going with my buddies and they've got their dog. But now I've decided I want my own dog. What are some things that I should be looking for? So the big thing I would tell people is do your homework Um, and I'll give a story to, to back that up. So when I first got into training dogs, I was still working as a full-time police officer, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, he had uh, another acquaintance who had a, a, a litter of puppies, and he said, yeah, you know, the mom I've hunted over her, she does pretty good. Um, I don't know much about the, the dad. Well, to me being somewhat still new to water fowl hunting at that point in time, I just wanted a dog I could take. I wanted to load him up in the truck and we, I wanted him to go everywhere with me. I wanted, I wanted him to hunt. So I didn't really go into the finer details of what you really need to look into with a dog. And that's how I got Django, my black lab, you know, and I'm gonna go ahead and knock out a few red flags that you want to avoid when buying a, a gun dog. So I was in a hurry. I was a young kid. I just wanted a dog. I buy this dog. Um, and I noticed when I got there that, you know, there was a lot of different colored puppies, one being a silver lab. And, you know, that's a different topic that some people are sensitive to. And, you know, I'll try to steer away from that a little bit. But um, it was a it was, you know, he he advertised that, hey, this is an AKC litter like you can they're going to be registered. Therefore, you can you can get a KC number dog on your your puppy. So when I got there, I got the puppy and I, I didn't, 
I didn't really value that paperwork right away. I, was, I just wanted a dog. I wanted to get him home. I wanted to play with him. I wanted to train him. So when I got this dog home, Django, um, he was phenomenal. Like he showed early signs of good retrieve drive. Um, he was he's well mannered in the house. He's he had he had the drive you wanted. Um, and what I started finding out was there was a lot of health issues and behavioral issues associated with that litter i had found out after the fact that the mom had bit the fedex man a couple times <laughs> and then you know like i said there was a few silver labs in the litter and that is you know that's up for debate and I'll, I'll leave that one alone and then there was also you know i started asking more questions about the mail you know hey what's going on why can't i why, where's the registration number like what where's the paperwork i need to get this dog registered well i tried to get in touch with the male dog owner and he's blowing me off. I can't get touched with him. I don't know what's going on. All right. So there we had, a, there's a red flag, right? Yeah. So I, initially I was told, Hey, everything's ready to go. It's good to go. And then a couple of weeks pass. Hey man, you got the registration number for this, this, this puppy, like, I, like the litter, the litter registration. I can't get in touch with him. And then it turned into from excuses to just let, leaving me on red, no reply. I said, Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. And, you know, short summary on Django's career, you know, he had the highest drive that, out of all the pups I've had. And, you know, he's one of the few dogs that, that I, I feel like he's probably my best dove dog. Like, truthfully, doves don't care a lot of scent. And he would go in, the, in the, the thickest stuff to get a dove. He loves it. He was crazy about ducks. Uh, he was a little vocal in the blind, um, but his drive was there. He was always steady. You knew what you were going to get out of him. However, let's talk about the cons that we got from the slitter. So... Finding out that Mama had bit the FedEx man a couple of times, you know he he had some aggression issues, um, and it wasn't towards me or anybody in my family. He knew us; he was okay with us. He just he had he had some aggression issues, and as time progressed, I was like, well, maybe it's just him. Maybe it's not the whole litter. And sure enough, two or three other dogs aggression issues. Now there's you know genetics plays a role in that and environment plays a role in it and i can tell i can tell you we took that pup everywhere i took him trout fishing with me i took him to tractor supply he got pets and loves from everybody um however as he got around the four month mark i had started the police academy so i'm monday through friday i'm there on the weekends i'm training him so he got used to just being in home yeah and you know now I, I prioritize prioritize socialization at the top um, for all dogs because you you want them to be trainable. Part of being trainable is being sociable, um, and I quit taking them public places because I was at the academy Monday through Friday. So I wanted to spend my weekend at home training him, and I, I kind of seen where you know maybe his socialization and fear of new things was starting to grow. So I think that played a role in his long term issues as well, um, and that's on me. But also you know. You're trying to manage your work life so that's you know something you really want to hammer home is don't give up on that socialization and like i said he's my first dog learned a lot from him and i owe him everything because everything i learned from him transcended into working with other people and their dogs because they the ones that did see django work like they're they're impressed so i started working with their dogs and you know word of mouth just spread so quickly yeah no that makes sense and so something that you said though that i never would have really put together is socialization and the fact that they would basically become fearful of new things and when you socialize regularly new things are okay mm -hmm. that's exactly right and that i never i'm glad you said that because i think that could be said for almost all dogs mm -hmm. though, right not just gun dogs and bird dogs but yeah so that's 
that's a good nugget there. Yeah, but I tell people the first thing you need to do with your pup is socialize him because especially whether you want it as a pet or a gun dog and a blind, you know, I think you want to have a good quality of life with your dog while he's here, he or she's here. So socialization is the first thing. So you can take them, you can take them on vacation. You can take them on trips, uh, you know, for, for the hunter, you know, you're around three or four other guys and a blind, like you want them to be there and be enjoyable and you want them to be comfortable. So that's why I really hone, hone in on socialization early on. Copy that. Back to what you were saying as far as like picking your, your, do your homework and picking your dog. Um, you know, there's, you were telling me earlier, there's a couple different breeds. What are those breeds? So, you know, if you look at just the Labrador Retriever, right, and the types of labs within there, you know, there's three that stick out to me. You know, you got the English lab, you got an American lab, and you got a British lab. Uh, American lab, uh, you know, like I said, there's anomalies to each one that are a little different. Um, but you look at like an American lab, from what I've seen, they're a little bit bigger framed. Um, higher drive. I mean, they're built for waterfowl and, you know, retrieving in the harshest elements. Same with British labs. Um you know, they're kind of built the same. Then you look at English labs. English labs are tr- traditionally in show rings. You see a lot of them as service dogs, and they can do the work as well, too. They're very laid back. But my concern with, like, you know, English labs, obviously they can retrieve just like any other retriever, but they're not necessarily built the same as an American or British lab. Okay. And some of them are in more better shape than others. But me, like, speaking from my experience, right, I've watched two English labs blow an ACL retrieving, and it was it was hard to watch. You heard the yelp. You seen a barrel roll. It wasn't very enjoyable, and it's kind of like taking an offensive lineman in the NFL and saying, "Go play soccer." He could probably play a little soccer, but is he built for it? So you, that that's what I compare it to. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so out of the three, you would really recommend the British or the American? Yeah, I, and you know, like I said, everybody's got their preference. You know, you'll hear solely British lab breeders and trainers say, "Hey, they don't make a peep." Well, that's not always true because your environment can change a lot on how a dog acts. You know, and you'll hear the contrast on American labs, you know, hey, they can't sit still, they're vocal. That's not the truth either. A lot of that comes down to pedigree and, you know, environments as well and how they were trained. So I see the positives in both. A lot of people will say, hey, I prefer one because it doesn't do this. Well, you can have your preference, but just know that all of them have their cons. And, you know, a lot of it really boils down to breeding and their environment coming up. When you talk about finding a breeder that works for you, all right, you really want to do your homework on the sire and the dam. And for those that don't know, the sire is going to be the male or the dad of litter, and the dam's going to be the female. Um, do your homework because what you'll find is, you know, Jim Bob down the road, your neighbor, he might have a backyard litter, and you're like, hey, I want a Labrador retriever. Well, just because it's a retrieving breed doesn't mean that litter is going to be built, you know, to set you up for success as a retriever in the field. Um, you know, it really boils down to health, trainability. Um, and you'll hear certain litter say, or certain breeders will say about a particular litter, hey, it was bred into their lines for generations. Okay, have you hunted the, the sire? Have you hunted the dam? Have you run them in hunt tests? Have you done the health clearances? All those, those three things hold a, whole, a lot of value because – I think tests and titles in the pedigree that really shows two things. It, tra- it shows the dog's trainability and then the capability as well. And then also shows like, hey, who trained these dogs and what the trainers were capable of as well along the way. So 
find do your homework and there's a f- few things you really want to watch on buying those puppies you want you know labs they have uh, problems with hips and elbows so the first thing i would ask is hey i, I see you got a litter do they have do you have their hips and elbows tested are they good on that and if they say, well, we didn't test for that, that's a red flag. Probably not the dog you want, okay? Not saying it won't be a good dog. Not saying that it it will or won't have hip or elbow issues, but you want that proof. You want to stack the odds in your favor. Yeah, definitely you do. And then the next thing I'm going to follow up with is, have you seen this dog, have you seen the sire of the damn work in any capacity? Some people don't test or run trials. That's fine. They might pull out a video and say, hey, here's my stud dog running a triple mark and a blind he's a gun dog i don't run him in tests i just don't have time okay but we got something to work with right yeah and then you know the same with the females you want to see that they're they're doing something with both those parents so okay you've seen the videos right you've you've seen they've tested for elbows and hips well let's go into it a little further and labs have genetic traits as well you got to watch for and I know they have different labels for each one or different names, depending on who's testing for it. But the three to stick out for me, I think is EIC, which is exercise induced collapse. And if any breeders listen to this, feel free to reach out or correct me on any of this. Cause I'm still fairly new to the breeding world. I just know what to look for now, but you got EIC, uh, I think PRA, which has to do with their eyes, I believe. And then you have a uh, skeletal dysplasia, right? Okay. So you're going to ask about those traits. <laughs> hey, hey, did you have their DNA health clearances done? And there's going to be a list those three, and I think there's a few others. You're gonna you're gonna say you'll see whether they're like a carrier or they're clear. If so, if you have like the sire, he's a carrier of one of those. Let's say EIC or SD2 or whatever. Let's say SD2. Um, so the stud is a carrier of skeletal dysplasia. All right. Don't write that letter off yet. Okay. Ask about the female. All right. Well, the female's clear on SD2. That's okay. Now, if you have a carrier and a carrier, then it might be an issue, but a responsible breeder is not going to have that happen. So ask about those health clearances too, because you really want to know about those because you really don't want to hit those issues four years down the road when the kids have gotten attached to this dog. Uh, you know, your your wife is, you know, snuggles with it in the evenings and gives it treats when you're not looking, spoils it. You really don't want to create those attachment issues if there's going to be health issues later on. You want that long-term quality of life with your companion, your dog. That makes sense. All right, so we've done our homework. We've we've picked the different breed that we've decided to go with, whether it be the British, American, or the English. And now that we've we're there, we've got two choices to make, I believe. Right? We well, really three. One is we don't train our dog. Mm-hmm. Two is to train our dog ourselves. Or the third one would be to find a reputable dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. You know. You really got to evaluate what you want from this dog long-term. Is it just a pet? You know, that's the first thing. Second, okay, you want a good gun dog, right? You're into the duck hunt world. You want a good gun dog. Do you have the time to work with it consistently and what's your expectations for that dog? If it, you know, a dog can absolutely be self-taught at home. And I mean, that's how I got started. And you do your homework. There's plenty of videos, plenty of links and resources the question is not if somebody can train their dog at home is do you have the time available to train this dog? Cause a lot of these dogs, if you're buying it from working lines, they're best suited to work. So you really want to spend that time early on. Like we talked about socialization. We talked, we can talk about, you know, once they get through the socialization there, you start trying to build retrieve and prey drive. Okay. Do you have time to get them around retrieving, you know, socks in the hallway a couple of times, you know, or getting it really building that drive and retrieving, 
seeing them progress as they get more excited about playing the game because that's what they're doing. I mean, they're essentially playing a game. And then, you know, another upside to having a trainer is, you know, that's their job every day. And they also have access to, you know, more ducks, more pigeons. Like, you know, I use pigeons early on with, you know, people that bring me their dogs because that's a good way to teach them to get birdie, retrieve drive, prey drive. And I keep those things on site just because it, it really does help them get used to that game. They start realizing, oh, man, I'm, this is what it's about. And you start seeing those generations and years before really come out in these puppies. Okay. So that, I'm trying to picture this. So you, you actually use pigeons as far as training. I, I do. So Part, we'll, not, not your like full time, but mm-hmm. you introduce pigeons, right? Yep. So um, with with the pigeons, you know, it's a smaller bird. They're fairly easy to come by. They're essentially a nuisance species. Um, so I got a farmer nearby that traps them for me. And what I'll do is I will pull the flight feathers from them. So that way they can't fly, you know, but they can also, you know, they, you still get that flap in nature when you release them in front of the pup. They get used to working through the birds flapping. That also builds their adrenaline in the retrieve drive. They retrieve it. They get used to being around birds, birds in their mouth. And you start coaching them back to you and they really start putting the pieces together in terms of having a retrieve drive. And I usually introduce that fairly early, um, 12, like probably 12 to 16 weeks. They start seeing pigeons and getting their chance at them. And you really see it starting to turn on for the pups early on. Do you have a milestone goal in mind with each dog as in like, all right, by six months old, this dog should be doing this or is every dog different? Uh, I would say every dog's different. It's it's hard to put a timetable on it. Uh, one of my mentors, you know, he gets that question a lot because he trains dogs full time, and that that's his whole thing. And I, I do it part time now. And what I tell people when they call about you know asking about timelines is it takes as long as it takes. Yeah. Uh, each dog is different. You know, they, some learn faster. Some some you know have issues with one thing. Another one might have an issue with another. I would rather build that house slowly and make sure it's stable and there's a good foundation instead of rushing. And I feel like when you rush, you run into issues. Okay. Now that makes sense. And uh, so you were, you had mentioned like hunt trials earlier. So walk me through that. What is a hunt trial? So you got field trials and hunt tests and I participate in the hunt test. And what that, you know, you got two different sanctions. You got American Kennel Club and then you got HRC, which is through the United Kennel Club. There's, you know, entry level, like, you know, your pup level, your entry level work. But, you know, they got three different levels, essentially. So you got junior level in AKC. You got starter level in HRC. That's traditionally for newer dogs, newer handlers to get their pups out. It's a, it's really a good, a good spot for this, you know, somebody that's self-training their pup, like to see how they're doing and that's basic marks. And they want you to deliver the bird to hand. Um, that's a good, like I said, you're probably going to find a lot of younger dogs in that division. And then you get into senior level. To me, a senior level is a good representative representation of a dog that can hunt. Um, and it's the same with HRC. They have season level. Dog's going to do a walk-up. You know, a walk-up is essentially, hey, you're walking with your dog in the field, bird released, you shoot it in front of your dog, there's a boom, they don't break, they pick it up. They run usually a double a double mark, which is two birds falling. They, they have a memory bird and a go bird, the go bird being the last bird to fall, that fell, and then they'll go get the memory bird. So you run a double, and then you'll run a blind, a, a, usually a fairly basic, simple blind. I think the most like 
common range I'm finding those blinds is probably like 40 to 60 yards. Uh, just they want to see your dog handle. They know basic casting, get to it. And then you get into the master level, finish level, which is where one of my stud dogs is right now. We're working on that, working towards that. Master level, I can't really attest to that too much because I've been kind of focused on HRC, finish level here lately. And that's the same deal. You know, you get you get three marks and they run a triple. So they got to remember where the three birds fell. And they got to run, a, I believe, two blinds and finish. Don't quote me on that. I have to go back and look at that. But I believe they run two blinds and then they got to honor. So once you've run all that, you put your dog on an honor station, they got to honor the other dog working. And you also do that at the AKC senior level as well. Honor is basically, my dog's done. He's watching the other dog work. He can't break. He can't, you know, essentially Goldberg spear the other dog so he can get the retrieve. They really got to show some manners and etiquette on that honor stand. Interesting. Yep. Very interesting. Is that to like basically mimic multiple dogs in one blind? Yeah, and the good thing about hunt tests is they're hunt savvy. So picture a duck hunt, right? Maybe there's two dogs in a blind and one's, you know, you had two mallards come in and one just fell right in the, right in the spread, you know, 15, 20 yards from the blind. That first dog retrieves it. The other one needs to understand not every retrieve is his. Yeah. Uh, so he, he, he understands. He goes when he's told to. So he honors that other dog retrieving that mark. He understands that's not his, but his the next one might be. Okay. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Dog etiquette. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very, it's, in, it's more important than you think. I mean, yeah. some people don't mind the whining in a blind. I, I take a lot of pride in having some quiet dogs in the blind. And that doesn't say that whining behaviors won't build up if they run a lot of tests or a lot of hunts and they're getting a lot of birds. But when you can have a good, calm dog with good etiquette in the blind, you know, they they see the birds fall. They don't break. They understand, hey, I wait to my name, say when, go get the bird, bring it back, deliver it to hand. I think that enhances the the hunting experience for everyone. And I think it's also a great conservation tool. I mean, these dogs do some, some phenomenal things when it comes to retrieving. Absolutely. So I had the pleasure of hunting on the eastern shore of Maryland, and uh, we hunted with Tidewater Guide mm-hmm. Service. And just watching the dogs, because, you know, I I guess maybe I was naive to it. Um, obviously, those dogs need to be taught. And just watching those dogs go retrieve, uh, Phil Gay was uh, our guide, and watching his dog just run out, pick up those geese, get back, and then, you know, basically holding them until he told them to release them. You know, I never really put a a lot of thought into that dog was trained to do that. I guess more than anything, I just thought maybe it knew. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish it was that easy sometimes. Um, You know, what I tell people, you know, you talk about like the importance of him giving that bird when told to do so picture year you know the drake pintail right it's or a pintail drake the that is like one of the biggest trophy birds in the duck hunting world imagine you've you've winged this pintail drake your dog retrieves it and he's crippled right the bird's crippled and he comes back he's proud of you you're like that's my dog you know he's got he's got this pintail what a day what a day and he drops it at your feet and that cripple starts getting away again and they either got to shoot it again and then you you know, you essentially just double tap this trophy bird and maybe there's not too much left to mount Yeah. or worst case scenario, he gets away. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I'll tell you what, man, it's having a good dog that can deliver to hand, sit steady in the blind. It's going to enhance the hunting experience and it's going to provide memories that will last a lifetime. 
That makes sense. And so I can see the value in someone like yourself who is a dog trainer, right? And the fact that I, you know, I just went out, I probably spent a fair amount of money on my new puppy. You know, I want to turn this dog into a really good retrieving hunting dog. And now, other than someone like you being able to do this for me, like there's, there's an extreme amount of value in that because someone like myself, like I don't have a lot of time and to be able to say, Hey, Abe, here's my dog. You know, I would like my dog back to be able to do the following. Right. And then you're like, Hey, it'll be what it'll be, or it'll be when it will be. Yeah. And you know, like for a basic gun dog program, they usually run four months, but you might need that fifth month to work on something. Or like I said, it's hard to put a time frame on it. Maybe it needs more time working on a particular issue. So long-term it's better. So it's important not to rush it. And we're very fortunate because, you know, trust me, I wish killing ducks paid the bills. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, there's people that guide and certainly that's their craft and God bless them. Cause that's a hard job in itself too. I wish killing ducks paid the bills because, you know, I wouldn't have to work <laughs> like, like, the, you know, and that's, that's how the average consumer for a dog trainer, you know, they, they got to make, money so they got to be at work and you know you've worked an eight hour or 12 hour shift i remember working 12 hour shifts at the police department coming home and just being like oh i do not want to train it's 6 30 in the morning i just got off night shift like but you know i got obsessed with the process so that's what helped me get through with my first dog django and i tell people you know if you don't have the time, but you want a good product, I, I would certainly encourage you to find a trainer. And we're fortunate to be, you know, in Virginia, there's so many great trainers in different parts of the state that, you know, maybe you want to go a little farther for a particular trainer, but chances are there's probably one close by as well. So we're, we're lucky in the state of Virginia to have so many great trainers. Yeah. So, and you're down in Southern Virginia now around the Halifax area, yep. correct? I, I call it God's country <laughs> because, you know, there's, it seems to be a good bit of ducks and geese down there, which I enjoy. And it's Southern hospitality at its finest, you know, on any given day, you could be wood duck hunting in the morning and fishing car lake in the evening. So it's, it's a good place to be. Nice. Very nice. So if any of our listeners are listening and uh, they are thinking about getting a, uh, a, a really good, or they're thinking about getting a good dog and making it a really good dog, make sure you guys reach out to Abe and see what his availability is. I know you're pretty much booked for this year already, but that's not to say someone down the road or sometime down the line, you wouldn't be available. Yep. That's, that's right. And even if I can't get you in, I'm always going to try and help you. I might point you in the direction of another trainer. If, if I'm full or if you got a question about this particular issue with the pup, I'm going to try and do anything I can to help you. Um, Cause everybody started somewhere and there was times I wish I would have had a mentor early on. Now, granted two or three years in, I started finding more mentors and it made things a lot easier, but some people don't have that. So if I can help any, anybody anyway, I, w- I certainly will. Yeah, absolutely. Now you'd mentioned earlier about advanced training. The bulk of what I do is a basic gun dog program. You know, your dog's going to sit, you know, steady to shot. It's going to be able to deliver that bird to hand, you know, mark multiple retrieves, simple doubles. Um, when you get into the advance, you start running blinds and getting more handling. And uh, even then, you know, you start progressing through the harder task. It's, it takes even more time. Um, and we don't, I'm not offering an advanced gun dog yet. My dogs are doing the work, but 
for me, I, I try to build my bread and butter around a gentleman's gun dog. I want them to be able to be a really good hunter. You know, I want them to have that off switch. So I run them through the basic gun dog program. And then if they perform well enough in the basic gun dog program and I feel comfortable enough with them, then I'll bring them one for an advanced gun dog. I know we got uh, Chesapeake Bay Retriever that's coming back that I've been working with. Uh, He's, he's right there in line with some more advanced stuff. I think we're going to work him through. Um, I don't want to say it's situational, but certainly the event, what I'm trying to say is the advanced gun dog work, you know, it takes more time. Uh, you're asking a little bit more of the dog. So you really want to make sure, you know, for me, if I'm going to take your money to train this dog, I want to make sure I'm setting you up for success. And I'm going to tell you up front, Hey, I worked with your dog through the basic gun dog program. He did really well. I understand, you know, I know what he's good at. I know his strong point. I think we can get him there and then we'll run him through it. But always got to have that evaluation too. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I tell you what, Abe, this has been a really good time the last two weeks. Uh, anything from waterfowl to now dog training it's it's been very educational and uh, that's definitely what we want to do here at hunting day is educate our listeners um we obviously want to be entertaining but we inspirational and educational is the two things that we're looking right. for and uh, i think you've checked both boxes man i really appreciate it well i tried my best you know it's there's so much to talk about when it comes to waterfowl retrievers and it's such it's a variety of topics you can hit within it and you know you got the boys down on the coast they got their own way of hunting i grew up hunting here around the blue ridge in southern virginia so i tried to talk about the basics where we could apply it to the average hunter in virginia certainly i haven't hunted much time on the coast and i try to hit everything i could for everybody here so i hope i hope that worked out for them they take away something from it absolutely you've definitely added a lot of value if any of our listeners did want to reach out to you uh would facebook be the best way so i got facebook and instagram uh i on my facebook it's oakborn kennels we have a page for that along with uh you just type in my name abe turner uh i think my profile picture right now is holding a banded goose (laughs) so i'm pretty proud of that that's awesome yeah so abe turner on facebook uh and then oakborn kennels on facebook and instagram is also oakborn kennels um and like i said if anybody needs anything please reach out i'll try to help you any way i can man I, i know that they would appreciate that and i do as well and uh i ask this to everybody on uh Anytime I have people on, this is a question that I ask, and uh, I'm sure you know what I'm about to ask you, but if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would you go and what would you hunt? Ooh, that's a good one. So like I said, bulk of my hunting has been in Virginia. So I hear it and I see the videos. I hear the stories about the Midwest. I hear about Canada. Um, I think I'm going to go with North Dakota. Um I want to go out there and freelance, and I think that's on the hit list. Kansas is a close number two for waterfowl hunting, but I think North Dakota is at the top of my list because I think it's a good testament to your dogs as well. You know, they're going to be hunting. They can hunt ducks and geese in the morning and pheasants in the evening. And to me, with the birds coming in from Canada, freelancing, seeing the views, seeing the different types of birds, the reps you get out there with your retrievers, I think that that takes the cake. That gets me fired up. So that's on the hit list for sure. All right. So North Dakota. Yep. Waterfowl hunting. And I would say, you know, if if you're asking what species, for me, I really want a full plumed out Drake pintail. There have been on a couple hunts where we've killed pintails. My bad luck is I shoot the hen. Uh, On two different occasions, I've shot a pintail hen. Couldn't get the drake. And then on another one, my gun jammed. 
And uh, another guy I was with shot the Drake Pintail right here in Page County, of all places. And Django got the retrieve, and I still got that memory of him pulling that Pintail out from the cattails and bringing it back to me. But I also got that memory of that gun jamming and how sad I was. Oh, man. <laughs> I could completely understand that. So North Dakota north dakota I know, I know that's a haul and but I, I just feel like that's the mecca for for duck hunting and you know a lot of people say canada um i like to think america is the best place on the earth and then we call that patriotism yeah so i want to hunt here in the states now certainly canada's got a lot to offer and uh, there's a lot of birds up there but uh given the circumstances here lately i think i'm gonna stay in america for a while <laughs> so north dakota is there with you know C- canada in consideration if you will absolutely absolutely no that's awesome man and again we really appreciate you being on and this has been a fun two weeks thank you buddy i appreciate it absolutely to all of our listeners and we definitely appreciate all the love and support and as always keep hunting and keep doing what god calls you to do thank you for listening to hunting day with stephen robbins don't forget to like comment subscribe if you'd like to follow you can find stephen on instagram at stephen hunt day and facebook at stephen robbins hd if you'd like to reach stephen you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com